we're continuing this series in Matthew's Gospel, getting ready for Easter, uh, this sort of uh, long passion narrative. Uh, so why don't, we, um, why don't we pray again as we take a look. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we, we thank you that we can sit together now uh, and sit together under your word. Uh, Lord, please uh, help us look at this well-known passage uh, and we pray that you would make it fresh for us this afternoon. Uh, we pray that you would uh, challenge and encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I don't know if you saw in the news this week, ASIO has revealed an Australian politician betrayed our nation. Did you read that headline? Uh, Mike Burgess, the head of ASIO, Australia's security intelligence organisation, he announced in his annual threat assessment speech that a former Aussie politician was cultivated by spies. Uh, Matt Doran, ABC's political reporter, he commented, this has set tongues wagging in Canberra. As it would. We all want to know who was it, don't we? Uh, who was this person and what are the consequences for what they've done? Uh, some want this person named and shamed. That way we don't look at absolutely every former politician and think, was it you? Others, for security reasons, I suppose, would prefer it kept quiet. I read that article as I was reflecting on this passage that Isabel just read to us this afternoon, and it raises the question, how are we to interpret the death of Jesus? Is it just yet another story of betrayal, like so many in history? How do we reconcile Judas's betrayal of Jesus with God's sovereign plan. Why did Jesus die? What was it just because of Judas's betrayal or for some other reason? I don't know if you've ever read a biography that has devoted one third of its contents to the last seven days of the person's life. That would be uncommon, I imagine. But that's pretty much what we have in Matthew's Gospel. The narrative is slowing right down at this point. Matthew, our writer and eyewitness, who was taught by Jesus, he interprets what went on for us. And in verses 17 to 19, Matthew makes the setting really clear. Do you notice this? Passover is repeated three times. From verse 17, the festival of unleavened bread. That was a week-long festival connected to Passover. The disciples, they asked Jesus, where do you want us to make preparations for Passover? And in verse 18, Jesus' control over this, this whole situation is evident. He's going to eat Passover with his disciples in this unnamed person's house. Remember, they're in the capital, so they need a venue. In verse 19, the disciples did as Jesus directed them and prepared the Passover. Given that in verse 2 of this chapter, Jesus has said, I'll be handed over and crucified at Passover, and given the religious leaders have resolved to kill Jesus, but not at Passover, the setting being Passover makes us as readers listen carefully. And there's two shocks in this passage, two surprises for the disciples. The first is verse 20 to 25. 
and the second is verses 26 to 30. That's kind of the structure of uh, this talk, I suppose. The first shock from verse 20, we picture Jesus, he's, he's reclining at the table with his disciples, eating the Passover meal. Now, I understand they'd, they'd picked up the Greco-Roman eating custom where the, the table was low set, so they're on their sides, legs out here, weight on the elbow, and they're dipping the food into the bowl and, and eating something like this. And we read in verse 21 what must have come as a massive shock to the disciples. Jesus says, truly I tell you, one of you will be, betray me. That's a, that's a bombshell to drop on a dinner party, isn't it? And just as, as the tongues are wagging in Canberra at the moment, so they, they do here. But notice that there is no accusing of one another. But there's a, a self-searching that goes on from verse 22. They're very sad. And we picture this around the room. They're lying down together eating. And one after another says, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Surely you don't mean me, Lord. You picture it round the table. This is a, a tight-knit group. It's as though they cannot fathom betrayal as a possibility. But Jesus replies, verse 23, the one who has dipped his hand in the bowl with me will betray me. Maybe you picked up there's a difference in the detail of the kids' video that we watched. This is not necessarily, necessarily narrowing it down. They're all dipping their hands in the bowl with him, each of the twelve. And Jesus says, verse 24, the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. They're, they're heavy words, aren't they? Do you see, though, in verse 24, how Jesus holds the betrayal together with God's sovereign plan? The Son of Man will go as it's written about him, says Jesus. That, that'll come up again in chapter 27. While it was always God's plan that Jesus would suffer and die, this does not mean that those involved in his death won't be held responsible for their actions. What Judas is doing is evil. He'll have to face up to it. Yet even here, God is using evil to accomplish good. This might remind you, as it does me, of the Joseph story. You remember Joseph, the, the favourite son that the brothers hated? And why wouldn't they hate him? He was stuck up and, you know. So they sold him to, into slavery, a terrible thing to do. And he goes through all kinds of difficulty, but later he says to his brothers... In Genesis 50, verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Now, as we look at Judas and the, the Jewish religious leaders' actions, we see that pattern again. God is using evil for good. The betrayal is certainly a big part of this historical event. But it's not the whole story, is it? Uh, yes, Jesus was killed because he was betrayed. 
but there's something much bigger going on. Interestingly, you pick this up as they go around the room. Uh, Surely not I, Lord. Surely not I, Lord. In verse 25, Matthew makes the point that Judas spoke too. But instead of calling Jesus Lord, like the others, a title that indicates submission, Judas refers to Jesus as teacher, as rabbi. Surely you don't mean me, rabbi. Jesus answered, you have said so. Judas knows he's exposed. If he's going to betray Jesus at all, he'll have to act quickly. So much for the religious leaders delaying until after the festival. The Passover meal, it's, oh, this is some dinner party, isn't it? Our subject is the crucifixion of Jesus. What does it mean? Another story of betrayal? Well, yes, but not just that. Uh, we were reminded last week, if you were here, the Passover meal was established as a memorial, wasn't it? A, a way for the Israelites to remember that rescue from slavery uh, in Egypt. But more specifically, that the Passover remembers that final plague where the angel of the Lord passed over the homes of those who had their doorposts covered in the blood of the lamb. But the houses without the blood of the lamb, their firstborn sons, were killed. And we might wonder why the firstborn son. Well, in their culture, the the firstborn son inherits. Uh, For good or bad, they inherit. So they inherit the sins of the family. We read some of Exodus 12 last week. That's worth reading at home. That Passover was a great day of judgment. It didn't didn't come out of the blue. Nine times God sent those plagues, the warnings. God's wrath will fall if Pharaoh won't let God's people go. Every house where no sacrifice was made... After nine warnings and repeated broken promises from Pharaoh, judgment did come. But each house marked with the blood of the lamb was passed over. Do you think about the eldest son in those households? You know, we try and send our kids to bed at seven. You send the kids in and uh, the eldest, he's unsettled. He comes back out, Dad, have you done the, have you put the blood of the lamb on the, on the doorposts yet? Oh, well, just let me finish this Netflix series and, and then I'll go and do it. Back to bed, son, and he's out again a few minutes later. Of course he can't sleep. The judgment was the death of the eldest, but there was a substitute. And God warns the world today of a coming judgment too. It won't come out of the blue. Uh, We've been looking at this uh, for the last few weeks. We've been warned. That was the last section of of Matthew's eyewitness account. That great day of accountability, it will come. We don't know when, where to be ready. This passage, it's often called the Last Supper. Uh, But it's also the last Passover meal. Jesus is the fulfilment of the Passover. This is the the second shock or or surprise for the disciples, uh, beginning in verse 26. The the meal has sort of continued on, maybe in silence, after the last conversation killer. 
And again, as they're eating, Jesus pipes up. Verse 26, he takes the bread. And when he's given thanks, he breaks it and he gives it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. From the disciples' point of view, what's going on here? This is actually one of the most formal moments in the Passover meal and Jesus has just changed the script. Take, eat, this is my body, he says. He's just said he's going to be crucified at Passover and now he puts himself in the centre of the Passover meal. The Israelites have been celebrating the Passover for, what, 1,500 years since, since Moses and the Exodus? And now Jesus changes it. It points to him. It's fulfilled in him. Do you see that we need the Old Testament to understand the crucifixion? Take, eat, this is my body. What does he mean? There will be a a great day of accountability and Jesus is the substitute. He doesn't mean the bread is literally his body, by the way. That Roman Catholic point of view, that his body is there with them intact. His bread is representative. Kids understand this. I came home the other day and our, our youngest Fred, who's four, he was sitting in a box and I looked at him and I said, what are you doing, Fred? He looked back as though, I, you know, isn't it obvious? Uh, he said he was driving a car. Now, I don't think Fred thought that the box had become a car, at least I hope not. For him, it was representative. The bread represents Jesus' body broken. It reminds us of the crucifixion. And then verse 27 and 28, he, he takes the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. And, and verse 28, it's just loaded with Old Testament imagery. He says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, that word covenant, you may know, it really means contract. And there are only two passages in the Old Testament that have both blood and covenant together. And again, it comes up in the book of Exodus. God didn't rescue his people from slavery in Egypt for nothing. Uh, That they could just go and get on and do whatever they wanted, but that they might worship him. That's the repeated line, let my people go, Pharaoh, so that they might worship me or serve me, some translations have it. So it's out of slavery and into fellowship with God, into covenant relationship with God. For us, it's not out of slavery in Egypt, but it's, it's out of slavery to sin that we might worship him, serve him, live in fellowship with him be in covenant relationship with God. In Exodus 24, God's covenant with his people is confirmed. Uh, If you've got a Bible, I'm not sure if this will come up on the screen. Now, Exodus 24, if you want to flip, you can. Exodus 24 is a great chapter to read. Uh, And I'm going to read verses 7 to 11. Uh, This is where 
God's covenant with his people is confirmed. So they've been rescued from slavery in Egypt. Uh, The Ten Commandments have been given. The relationship is established, but this is, is confirmation of that relationship. Exodus 24 from verse 7, Then he, that's Moses, took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Now, verse 8, Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses and Aaron, Nahab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. That's the surprise, remember? This is a sinful people in some kind of relationship with a holy God. The fact that he didn't wipe them out is a surprise. They saw God and they ate and drank. You eat and drink with people that you're in relationship with. The blood of the bulls in Exodus 24, the blood of the lamb in the Passover, of course, it's not enough to deal with sin, but it anticipates relationship with God. In the Old Testament, there were covenant curses and there were covenant blessings. And they would literally cut a covenant, a contract. By cutting up animals, they would walk between the animals And by walking between, they were saying, uh, let it be uh, as it is for these animals, uh, uh, for me, if I break this contract. But God's people didn't ever walk through the animals. Only God did. Jesus takes the covenant curse on himself. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Again, this is not literally Jesus' blood that they're drinking. That would be really odd. He's there with them. He's pointing to the crucifixion. But as he does, he's repurposing, he's reshaping, he's fulfilling that Passover meal. It points to him. It's fulfilled in, in him. And for us today, it's not the Last Supper or the Passover, but we call it the Lord's Supper, don't we? where we remember Jesus, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus, the one through whom we enter covenant relationship with God, where Jesus takes on the covenant curse in our place. Jesus who dies for the forgiveness of sins. Through his blood we draw near forgiven and adopted as his own. You say, well, I've let him down again and again and again. But Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Don Carson, a Bible commentator, he says, what is certain is that Jesus bids us commemorate not his birth, not his life, nor his miracles, but his death. And we're going to do that in just a moment. 
There's two big shocks in this passage for the disciples. The betrayal, that tight-knit group. The betrayal, it's held together with God's sovereign plan. God using evil for good, ultimately. What Judas meant for evil, God used for the saving of many lives. And Jesus fulfills the Passover. Someone said, I think this is really helpful. They said, with the Lord's Supper, we look back, we look up, we look forward, we look within and we look around. It's easy to remember, isn't it? Uh, Back, up, forward, within, look everywhere, basically. Uh, It's helpful. We we look back. We look back to Jesus' sacrificial death on that cross. It happened in history. There were many witnesses. It sounds weird to our world, but it happened. And it helps to look back even further and see how Jesus is the fulfillment of that sacrificial lamb. How Jesus takes on the covenant curse himself. We look back, we look up. Jesus didn't stay dead. He's not hanging on the cross still in our pictures. He rose, he ascended, he's seated at the Father's right hand. He's interceding for us even now. One day he will return in judgment, that great day of accountability. So we look forward. We look forward to that day. But did you notice verse 29? He says, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Do you notice that Jesus is off the drink until the new creation? That's a whole lot more than dry October or or, or whatever it is people do, isn't it? Even as he anticipates his crucifixion, He also anticipates that final day in which God's people will be welcomed in. It's the great day of accountability, judgment. But for those covered by the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus, it's the great banquet of the new creation. So we look forward. And we look within. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 that we're to examine ourselves as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Celebrating the Lord's Supper, it's not a nothing occasion. We don't call Jesus rabbi. He's not just a teacher. He's Lord. The Lord's Supper in some ways is a rededication ceremony. Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me live for you. Thank you for your sacrificial death on that cross. We look within and we look around. God brings us into relationship with each other and as his people. And so the Lord's Supper is opportunity to reflect, is there anyone that I need to sort things out with? Any relationships that have gone astray that that I need to deal with? We we look back, we look up, we look forward, we look within and we look around. Uh, Let's pray uh, and we'll do that. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you can even use evil for good. Uh, we find that such a tricky thing, such a challenging thing. We thank you for the way you show it working in the scriptures, in the Joseph story. 
but most of all in Jesus' story. And Lord, we thank you that even as Judas betrayed God the Son himself, you used that for the saving of many, many lives. Uh, Lord, we pray that as we suffer in this world, as at times we uh, have evil things done to us, that you would help us uh, see and trust that you're using even these difficult things for our good, that we might be more and more like our Lord Jesus. And Father, we thank you for this last Passover, for the way Jesus uh, plonks himself in the centre of it. We thank you for the way that the Passover really helps us to understand the cross. And we want to just pause and praise you for Jesus, our sufficient sacrifice. Lord, we pray that you would take our sin and put it on his, on him, and that you would give us his righteousness as you promised that you do. Uh, Lord, we thank you that one day we will have uh, that final banquet uh, where we can enjoy eating with you. And we pray that we would keep on looking to that as well. Uh, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, be with us as we uh, remember the cross together. Amen.